Father Bowdern realizes he's about to do battle with Satan himself. Exorcism is almost as old as religion itself. Welcome to a special Halloween episode of the I Wanna Believe podcast. I'm Nomar Slavik. Back with us this year, friend to the show, Valerie Lafaso. Val, how are you? And would you please remind the listeners of who you are and what you do? Thanks, Nomar. Yeah, I'm so happy to be back. I am Valerie Lafaso. I am an empathic medium and author of the Tangled Web of Friends Young Adult Paranormal Fiction series. Three books are currently out for that. And here's a fun fact. Candy corn was originally called chicken feed. It says here, we know this doesn't really help candy corn's case, but the love it or loathe it treat was originally marketed as chicken feed when it was first popularized around the end of the 19th century, which does kind of make sense since chickens eat corn and it's candy corn. Uh, Okay, okay, I, I got one. And this one will hit a little close to home for Valerie and I, me being in Maine and her in New Hampshire. The city of Keene, New Hampshire, holds the Guinness World Record for the most lit jack-o'-lanterns on display. It was a whopping 30,581. Keene was the original record holder in this category and has broken the record eight times since then. All right, enough with all that. On December 26, 1973, The Exorcist was unleashed upon the American public. Some people were sickened by the film's imagery and violent scenes. Some have claimed to have fainted, vomited, suffered heart attacks. There was even a report of a miscarriage and also nine other deaths associated with adults who had seen the film. The movie strikes at one of our deepest anxieties, the fear of the devil. When when she started talking, like, devil coming out of her, my legs are just going, and I want to go in the lobby and not watch it, and I have to cover my ears. I can't even describe it. It's so horrible. It just... It just scared me to death. Things just like this just, it just really scared me to death. I'm just nervous. Are you going to go back in and see more of the movie now? Probably, yeah. Despite all the chaos, most moviegoers loved the film. 
It was the highest grossing R-rated horror movie until the 2017 release of It. And The Exorcist was the first horror movie ever to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. Years before the based on or inspired by a true story would ever be seen on the screens of countless horror movies, the general public at that time were unaware of the origins of William Peter Blatty's book and screenplay. Those origins were to transpire about 24 years prior to the film's release, and we'll tell you more in a sec. Before we jump into the episode, I did want to give a reminder that all of our I Want to Believe social media and email are in the show notes, and my brand new book, We Only Come Out at Night, is now available for purchase. This book is a collection of short horror stories and can be found online at slubicstore.company.site. You can also get it at the Greenhand Bookshop in Portland, Maine. Valerie's Tangled Web of Friends book series can be found on Amazon. Just check the show notes for those links and much more. Alright, let's get into the exorcism of Roland Hunkler. The true story behind the exorcist. I'm hearing it firsthand from people who saw it, who saw a bed levitate. Finally, rare unfiltered access into the real and most frightening exorcism in America. The demon said to me, you can't get rid of us. You're not strong enough. What really happened to the haunted boy in St. Louis and the devil that possessed him? In 1949, Blatty was attending Georgetown University when he read an article in the Washington Post titled, Priest Frees Mount Rainier Boy Reported Held in Devil's Grip. It was written by Post reporter Bill Brinkley, and according to Blatty, it inspired him to write his 1971 novel, The Exorcist. It was a relatively short article, approximately 500 words, and read in part, quote, in what is perhaps one of the most remarkable experiences of its kind in recent religious history, a 14-year-old Mount Rainier boy has been freed by a Catholic priest of possession by the devil, Catholic sources reported yesterday. Only after between 20 and 30 performances of the ancient ritual of exorcism here and in St. Louis was the devil finally cast out of the boy, it was said. In all except the last of these, the boy broke into a violent tantrum, screaming, cursing, and voicing of Latin phrases, a language he had never studied. Whenever the priest reached the climatic point of the ritual, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I cast thee, the devil, out." End quote. The boy at that time was known by two pseudonyms, that of Roland Doe and Robbie Mannheim. The article continues, quote, in complete devotion to his task, the priest stayed with the boy over a period of two months, during which he said he personally witnessed such manifestations as the bed in which the boy was sleeping suddenly moving across the room. A Washington Protestant minister had previously reported personally witnessing similar manifestations, including one in which the pallet on which the sleeping boy lay slid slowly across the floor until the boy's head bumped against a bed, awakening him. In another instance, reported by the Protestant minister, a heavy armchair in which the boy was sitting with his knees drawn under his chin tilted slowly to one side and fell over, throwing the boy to the floor." End quote. 
The final rite of Roland's exorcism took place in May of 1949. One of the priests performing the exorcism, Father William Bowdern, said it was the first devil casting in at least a hundred years of, quote, Catholic activities, and perhaps in the entire history of the church in this area, end quote. But how did this boy become possessed in the first place? The Washington Post article does not get into the backstory of the boy or the family, so what exactly happened? Former classmates and family members were interviewed in the following years, and Father Bowder never shied away from publicly discussing the case. Friends and acquaintances described Roland as, quote, not athletic, quiet, unpopular, and very studious. Rumor has it that Roland's mother and grandmother were overbearing and his father was distant, if not completely absent. Roland's family was unremarkable and typical with nothing to hide." End quote. It was said that Roland found solace in spending time with his aunt, a woman named Tilly. She was described as a spiritualist and had interests in the paranormal. Alex Matsu wrote about the Hunkler case and said of Aunt Tilly, quote, She had a particular interest in the Ouija board and taught Roland how to use one in 1948. From there, the trouble started. After Roland learned how to use a Ouija board, his family started noticing strange things happening in their home. They heard muffled voices talking, objects moved without anyone touching them, and there were sounds of footsteps that sounded like groups of people were walking through the house." End quote. Aunt Tilly no doubt spoke to him about some of her spiritualist beliefs. They used this spirit board or talking board. The talking board is a byproduct of the spiritualist movement. It's got the alphabet printed on it, and on that talking board is a little table called a planchette. And one, two, three, or more people can put fingers on that planchette and it moves and spells out messages. But Roland and his aunt have no idea they're opening a door to the dark side. A friend was at Roland's house one day and witnessed a terrifying event. They claimed that while Roland was sitting in a chair, it started to violently shake, eventually throwing him across the room. Roland's friend promptly left. An article written by Norman Fulkerson for a religious organization stated, quote, Not long afterwards, they heard strange noises in his room, such as the incessant sound of dripping water, and later a scratching noise like claws scraping across wood. Around that same time, Aunt Tilly died, and Roland began using the Ouija board as a means to contact her. He would use the board for hours on end until the game became for him a possession, both figuratively and literally." End quote. As time went on, Roland's mother began to believe the house was haunted. It was then conveyed that his parents started to notice strange markings on the boy's body. They were initially described as, quote, scratch marks, welts and bruises, which appeared for no apparent reason, end quote. His family also observed a more aggressive personality. They witnessed angry random outbursts which escalated to violent tantrums directed at anyone in front of him. As his troubling behavior escalates, Roland stops going to school. Could the boy be losing his mind? Or has he conjured an evil spirit from the depths of hell? 
At this point, his parents felt that it was now time to consult with their doctor. After Roland's initial visit, their doctor recommended various psychologists and psychiatrists to no avail. With no relief from the boy's odd behavior, they consulted a psychic and eventually went to their minister, Reverend Luther Miles Schulz. Fulkerson wrote, quote, while the parents already considered the possibility of diabolical possession, Pastor Schulz was skeptical. He looked upon possession as a medieval relic, so he decided to find out for himself what was going on by inviting Roland to spend the night at his home. Initially, they wanted to observe him outside of the home. So if there was something you know, happening in the home, is it just at the home? That night, he watched with his own eyes as Roland's bed moved back and forth, then jumped up and down. When he asked the boy to try to sleep in a chair, it moved across the room, then fell on its side, leaving Roland sprawled on the floor. When Schulz could not stand the chair upright, he realized he was in the presence of a colossal force and had a change of heart. He took Roland home and told his parents to seek out a Catholic priest." End quote. And at this point, they know this isn't normal. This isn't psychological disorder. There's something diabolical happening here. Could the Catholic Church explain these frightening manifestations? Roland was initially examined by priests, Father Bober and Father Hughes. The pair documented that Roland could not stop staring at their Bibles, and that act alone was a sign of possession. Matsu wrote, quote, when asked for his name, Roland responded, Ego Legionibus, which means I am legions in Latin. On Father Hugh's recommendation, Roland was moved to a Jesuit hospital near Washington, D.C. Roland's outbursts only continued to get worse. They got worse to the point where Roland had to be restrained in his bed. According to sources, Father Hughes contacts Archbishop Patrick O'Boyle of Washington, D.C. He thinks Roland needs an exorcism. Father Hughes was very upset by all this, and he thought right away that it warranted a trip to see the archbishop. A priest can't randomly decide, I think this guy needs to be exorcised. Father Hughes went to the archbishop, and very reluctantly, the archbishop was convinced that it was okay to go ahead and do an exorcism. This lasted for three nights. Roland managed to break through his restraints. He cut Father Hughes's arm open from his wrist to the inside of his elbow with a mattress spring. After that incident, the priest stopped helping Roland. Feeling defeated, his family took him back home in the hopes that some of the exorcism performed would help to improve their son. It didn't. Roland plunges deeper into despair. When getting ready for bed, he glances in the mirror and shrieks with horror. Bloody scratches appear on his chest and seem to form the word Lewis. Roland's parents believe the word is a sign. They have relatives in St. Louis. 
they believed that since the word Lewis did appear on his body, that maybe this evil spirit was sending a message that you should take Roland to St. Louis. When they got on the train to come to St. Louis, all they knew is they were basing this on Lewis, and they had relatives here, and they thought maybe they could find some support and relief and help spiritually from their relatives. This family upended their entire life to move halfway across the country on the off chance that this might help. As soon as the family settled into their new home, they contacted the local clergy. Matsu wrote, quote, Roland was examined by Father Bowdern and Father Bishop. They came to the conclusion that Roland was in a state of possession. They proceeded to try an exorcism. Father Bowdern wasn't feeling confident with his abilities to drive out the demon, so he enlisted the help of several priests like Father Halloran and Father Bishop. They mainly assisted with subduing Roland while Bowdern went through the rite of exorcism. According to one of the priests, Roland had the strength of a full-grown man. Roland transforms into a rabid creature, snarling and biting the men holding him down. During the exorcism, Roland cursed, threatened the priest with violence, propositioned them for sexual favors, and spat at them. This exorcism lasted for three weeks. Father Bowdern kept detailed journals about the incidents with Roland. These journal entries are in the 1991 book, Possessed, The True Story of an Exorcism by Thomas B. Allen, end quote. Unfortunately, the priests felt that the exorcisms were not working as intended. While there were short periods of lucidity, Roland would then resume his possessed state. Father Bowdern recommended that Roland be admitted to the Alexian Brother Hospital in St. Louis. This particular hospital was run by an ancient order of Catholic monks. The brothers were known for taking care of the really extreme cases of both physical and also mental illness. And so that's where he ended up staying in the psychiatric ward at, at Alexian Brothers here in St. Louis. The Alexian Brothers Hospital had a secure psychiatric facility where Roland could be taken out of the public eye and everything would be kept secret because the Alexian Brothers were known for their secrecy. The Diabolical Confusion website wrote, the boy was confined to a room and where no one could hear him during these outbursts, and where everyone could work as intensely as they needed without raising the concerns of outsiders." End quote. Bowdern continued with the exorcisms, which often lasted into the late night hours. After one troubling incident wherein Roland broke the nose of one of the priests, Bowdern decided that a baptism should be performed as to strengthen the boy's connection to his faith. After the baptism, they attempted to have Roland consume a communion wafer. He resisted, fighting with the priests, but it is reported that they managed to finally get him to accept the wafer. The Diabolical Confusion website wrote, quote, But the results were not as expected. This only increased the resolve of the demons within. But then, days later, 
in an event that shocked all those who were present in the middle of one of the worst displays of violence and hatred the priests had ever seen, Roland, for the first time in many days, spoke in a clear voice and declared, Satan, I am Saint Michael, and I command you to leave this boy now. Immediately following this, Roland claimed to have seen St. Michael appear in the room. He described him as, quote, a very beautiful man with flowing wavy hair that blew in the breeze as he stood in the midst of a brilliant white light. In his right hand, he held a wavy and fiery sword in front of him. With his left hand, he pointed down into a pit, end quote. In Catholic belief, St. Michael is the chief whom God gave power over Satan. St. Michael symbolizes protection from evil forces. Michael represents the dragon slayer figure and is often depicted that way, sort of a soldier and triumphant over the devil. And so he's often invoked as sort of a, a protector figure. Priests who perform exorcisms will often pray for intervention from St. Michael as the prayers provide for an absolute and successful banishment. After Roland's declaration, he then attended his first Catholic Mass, and it was then reported that he seemed calm, rational, and acting as himself. A few days later, the family and Roland returned home and moved on quickly from the events and the possession. Roland re-enrolled back into school, graduated, and entered college. It is reported that he went on to work for NASA and has never spoken publicly about the possession. In fact, he claims that he does not have any recollection of those past events, but believes the recounts of the priests and his family. Fulkerson wrote, quote, Father Bowdern remained the pastor of St. Francis Xavier until 1956. While it might have seemed that his life also went on as usual, the opposite is actually true. Relatives say that until his death in 1983, at the age of 86, this priest suffered mentally and physically from what he endured during the exorcism." End quote. There were 48 eyewitnesses who signed off on this final ecclesiastical document reporting that these abnormal things had occurred. But we saw some really weird stuff that happened around this kid that we don't know how to explain naturally. I am the great niece of Father William Bowdern, the Jesuit who was the exorcist. I grew up with the story from the time I can remember. Uncle Bill was probably one of the finest men I will ever be privileged to know. He had the most rock-solid faith I've ever seen. If you've ever had anyone in your life whose word you implicitly believe, this was the guy, was Uncle Bill, was Father Bowden. He wasn't an exaggerator. I think with his common sense, he would never think to exaggerate anything. And that brings us to the end of this Halloween special of the I Want to Believe podcast. What do you think, Val? You think everything happened as reported? 
Well, I mean, for one thing, journalism was a little different back then, so reporting things like that. I doubt they went over the top reporting some of these things the way they might now. And, you know, I believe that things like this can possibly happen. I don't know if they're necessarily demons, but, you know, if it's just energy, if we're all just energy, I don't see why something like this couldn't happen. Now, this may seem like a weird question, but I honestly don't know. Have you ever witnessed an exorcism at all? Yes, I have. Really? Yes. Can you share it all? I can, but I want everybody to remember that, you know, this is a delicate situation and it's, I look at it, we were in a position of huge responsibility. There was a young woman who was under 18 who had taken into herself another soul willingly. Oh, wow. She had been dabbling in some not so good things in her life to, you know, I think to get attention, there's that cool factor, you know. Yeah, you yeah, know, I know what you mean. With that sort of thing. It backfired on her. She was very, very unwell. And there were actually, I think there were four or five of us in the room working with the main medium to all help in different ways. And I was in charge of holding the energy of the room while the other mediums worked to try to get the soul out. And it was really interesting because they show in the movies and things, you know, the, the different voices and it's very obvious. But in this case, it wasn't obvious, but you could tell when the other soul was talking from her body, which was really, really bizarre. <laughs> I can imagine. Wow. And was it more of a personality change and instead of a voice change? No, not really. It was something in the tone and the inflection. It was just different. Wow. It was very strange. And it kept asking, it just kept saying, I want to go home. And at first we thought it was the girl that, you know, the, the living person saying that. But then as the medium talked, she realized, oh, wait, no, this is the soul trapped in her wants to leave and go home. Wow, okay, so it's kind of like a positive possession, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it was It was definitely different. Everyone was successful, and she has gone on to live a very happy, healthy, normal life, which is awesome to see. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. But yeah, it's, it's, it's real, you know, she was, she was empty after the soul was removed, which was interesting. You could tell something was missing until she learned how to fill herself back up in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, and, and I had no idea that you had this incredible story. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> of course. That's all we got for this Halloween special. And for Roland's story, we'll leave it up to you to decide what you choose to believe. Happy Halloween, and thanks so much for listening. I'm Nomar Slavic. I'm Valerie Lafaso. Happy Halloween. He brought you low for his bloodstained cross. Do not despise my command because you know me to be a sinner. Christ. <laughs>